welcome to the Vida Abundante SoundCloud page. Look us up on Facebook under Vida Abundante Cicero or follow us on Instagram under Vida Ab. We have recently started our English service and it has picked up right where our Spanish service is at, which is on the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Remember, we do verse by verse studies. So from now on, you can expect an English study on Colossians, verse by verse, starting on chapter 3, verse 15. Here's our pastor, Jonathan Gallardo, and the exposition of this chapter. Uh, but we're, we've been studying the book of Colossians as a church body for the last, I believe, five months. And we've been going in depth, in detail, verse by verse, primarily because we believe and we can find that the word of God is enough. The Word of God has authority over every aspect of our lives, so we've learned to submit to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to teach us the truth, to teach us the way to go in life. And so for that reason, we've been going very slowly through the book of Colossians. If you guys can glance through it very quickly, there's only four chapters in the book of Colossians, but we've been doing an in-depth study to help us better understand what the Word of God means. And so we've, we are at chapter 3 in our Spanish service. We are on chapter 3, verse, verses 12 through 17. So we've been spending, this is the fourth part of verses 12 through 17, and I'm focusing on verses 16 and 17 of Colossians chapter 3. So I'll give you some time to get there, and if someone doesn't have a Bible around you, please share with them or, or be nice, and, and you guys could read off each other, but I'm going to read uh, verses 16 and 17, and then we'll get started. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I'm reading from the NASB version, just in case yours is slightly different. It says, the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks through him to God the Father. So here we have at this final portion of, almost to the final portion of chapter 3, we've been studying throughout chapter 3 how Paul has kind of emphasized order, but order in the Christian life. If, if you have the opportunity to, today to go back home and read through chapter 3, I would encourage you to do so. I would also encourage you to read the entire book today if you can. It's only, it'll only take you like 20 minutes to do so. But if you read through chapter 3, you'll realize the order that Paul puts forth. Especially in verses 5 and 8, when Paul asserts a kind of a divine imperative over our life, when he says, put to death the old life. Put to death all of that nonsense that exists within you. More clearly, Paul says, put to death the sin in your life. And then we read in verse 8 where he says, take off or undress. That's the Greek word that we learn in, in verse 8. It's a, it's a figure of speech of saying, undress yourself from that old clothes that you have that have been gathered for years that you've become accustomed to and become used to that, that no longer function within your new nature. And then Paul emphasizes your new nature is Christ. You've been renewed 
by the Spirit of Christ. What did we read in chapter 1 through our communion service? We've been reconciled with Christ. We, we have a new, a new outlook. We were dead and now we are alive. We have a new outlook. We have new clothes, per se. So we have to undress ourselves from all of this old nature that is before us that hinders God's work. And then in verses 16 through 17, he puts an order. Once he put, established the order of the Christian life, now we have the order of Christian worship, of the gathering of God's people. This is incredible. This is why the Bible is so important for us to learn and to meditate and to actually teach and understand that, there, that the Word of God has designed an order for the service. That the Word of God has designed an order for your life. You shouldn't be asking around me like, hey, well, how, how should I live my life? How should I be, uh, how, how, what kind of Christian should I be? Should I be a nominal Christian? Should I be a type of Christian that likes this? Can I do this? Can I not do that? You know what? Just go to the Word of God. Go there and let the Word of God instruct you and guide you to what you're supposed to do. It's very, fairly simple. You read it and you just put it to work. That's why Jesus says at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 7, if you hear my words and you obey them and you do them, it's like the man that puts his house upon solid rock. If you hear my words and don't do them, you're like the person that puts his house on sand. The waves come crashing, your house tumbles. You are unwise. So it's fairly simple. You learn the word of God and then you apply it. Sometimes the most difficult part to do because there's a lot of challenge in that. But when you apply the word of God, you are like the wise man. And so now we have this design and order of worship. This is precious. How are the people of God supposed to gather? How are the people of God supposed to come together? So when you hear me use the word or the phrase, uh, the worship service, don't just think about the music. I know that's part of the element in the worship service. But the worship service in itself is the gathering of God's people. When the people of God gather, which is you, you, you're one of them, you're, you're a part of that gathering, can you, can you visualize tens of thousands of millions of people right now gathered to worship God? Like There's a global service going on at this very hour on a Sunday morning. But that's the concept of the worship service. It's not just the musical element. It is the gathering element. So when we gather together, we worship. That's part of our worship to God. So Sunday mornings, we don't go to church like I've told you before. We're part of the church, and the church goes to worship. The church becomes the, the, only, the only thing that the church is to do is glorify and magnify God. And that's why Paul emphasizes a right lifestyle. You have to get your life in order. You have to understand that your life needs to be, uh, you can't be practicing sin continually. Now, this doesn't advocate for a perfect Christianity. Rather, it advocates for a Christianity that can, that can examine themselves and realize that within themselves, there's, there's things that need to die. And if we, if we had the chance to explore those verses in chapter 3 in a little bit more depth, uh, they're, they're imperatives. They're, they're a, ver a verbal imperative over our life that means you must put to death. 
It is a demand. It is a command from the Apostle Paul through, through the Spirit of Christ for us to put these things to death. That's very important. So that when we gather together as a church, we don't have these, what do we call these, these tensions within us. We don't have these disagreements within us. We don't have this, like, I don't like that person. I don't like this other person. You know, this person was once cool, but they're not cool anymore. I don't really like them. Or, 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 or bitterness towards each other because we are one body. We are one group of people. We've all been uh, reconciled to God. You believe that, that the person next to you, if they're truly a, a son, daughter of Christ, they've been reconciled by the blood of Christ. Jesus has given their life for that person that is sitting right next to you. And it could be possible, it's a possibility that, that you may be angry at them, that you may have bitterness towards them, that when you see them, you're like, oh, let me go this way. Or, or when they're coming this way, like, oh, he's gonna come talk to me, he's gonna come talk to me, let me go this way. And we're the body of Christ, and this is our worship service? Come on. No wonder the world sometimes looks at us and says, what are you guys? You guys are divided amongst yourselves. But when we put our spiritual lives in order, when we put to death our old nature, when we put on Christ, and if you look at the, the ending of, of, of verses 14 and 15, we, have, we put on love and peace, and peace rules our heart, then we become the church. And then when we gather something completely beautiful happens. There's harmony. There's unity. There's that sense of, man, I can go be with my people because, because they'll pick me up if I'm down. I can go be with God's people because I'll feel true love, true peace, because they have received it themselves from God. And so this worship experience now holds a whole new meaning for when we gather. Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in verse 16. At the end of verse 15, Paul says, let the peace of God rule your heart. The peace of God. And then in verse 16, he says, now let the word of God rule amongst you, dwell inside of you. You, you get that? The peace of God first must rule your heart. You must recognize that you have peace before God, but you also now have peace before others. We can live in peace and stop bickering and fighting and hating each other. It's beautiful. And now, the word of God is supposed to dwell among you. I want you to pay attention to that you because it's not an individual you. In the Greek, it's a second personal pronoun with a plural. It's talking about you all. We were from down south. Y'all. All of you. It must dwell within you, the word of God. This is so common for God's people to love God's word. It is no wonder that we realize those parables and those gospel stories that we've heard from, from Jesus that, that when he's confronted with sin, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of my mouth. Because it is words that hold power and peace and everlasting life. It's the word of God that is to indwell the worship service. 
Why, why am I reading out of the Bible? Why am I preaching out of the Bible? Why am I reading these verses to you? Why am I emphasizing what the Word of God says? Because nothing I say is any good. You can literally throw anything that I say and make up in my mind, just throw it away. It's garbage. Uh, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not somebody that, that has good ideas. I'm a terrible communicator. But I can expound the Word of God, and that is what is to dwell among his people, inhabit his people. The word of God or the word of Christ, which is a very rare phrase in the Greek. It says the word of Christ. We're typically used to seeing the word of God, but right here it's because it's the emphasis. If the peace of Christ rules our heart, so will the word about Christ. A better translation would be a word about Christ, a message about Christ. It's the same thing Galatians chapter 1 verse 7 says, the, the, the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says it too, the gospel of Christ. This is the message of Christ, about Christ, that is to dwell within his people. We are to be ruled by it. And we are to know it. It's beautiful to be guided by divine revelation instead of our own revelation. I mean, if you examine your life and examine the mistakes in your life, generally, the bad decisions that have come across have been mainly your bad decisions. If you think about it, you, know, you don't want to blame God for all the bad decisions in your life, correct? You don't want to blame God for doing all the bad things in your life. There's generally comes a time in, when, when you decide to do things, oh, I, I, I'm going to take that job, I'm going to live over there, I'm going to go to that school, and, and, and do this, I'm going to do that. And it just sometimes they're just bad decisions because they're guided by your mind. They're guided by your emotions. They're guided by who you want to be, what you want to accomplish, rather than submitting to the revelation of God. The Christian church, the people of God, are guided by the word of Christ. For Paul, he doesn't see any other way. When he's talking to this church in Colossians, he, he, he's, he's thinking and he's expressing how the worship service should be, and he cannot visualize a church gathered to hear another message, to hear another revelation, which is what was going on. If you read chapter 2, that's what was going on. Other people were teaching other things that were not in line with the word of God or the word of Christ. So Paul really wants to emphasize that when the church gathers, when the worship gathers, the word of God is supposed to dwell inside of them. It's supposed to be with them. I want you to look and open your Bible to the Old Testament very quickly. Now, if you go to Leviticus, we're going to go to the law, which is a very scary book. But I want you to see the norm. I want you to see what the people of God were designed to live by. If you go to Leviticus chapter 26, here's what it says in verse 11 and 12. It says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. Then verse 12 says this, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Here we have a, a beautiful vi 
visual of God inhabiting his people. The Old Testament is a little bit different because God's word was auditory. You can hear it. It was spoken. When God spoke, some of the psalmists would say, when God speaks, the mountains tremble. Moses would live in the tabernacle or or be in the tabernacle listening to the, the word, the spoken word of God. And so it was that presence of God that was so vital to the community of the people of God. If the word of God through people like Moses and Aaron didn't speak on his behalf what they listened from God, how were the people to be guided? They would have no guide. They wouldn't have known to leave Egypt. They wouldn't have known which route to take. They wouldn't have had the vision of the promised land, but it was the word of God that inspired and gave them life. It goes a little bit further. Look at Deuteronomy, the second law. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I love this. If you have the opportunity to read this to your children, do so because it's very helpful. The whole part starts from verse 4 through verse 9, but I'll, I'll, I'll emphasize the, the last three verses starting from 6. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. Where will they be? Where is that? In your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now that was literal back then for Israel. That was a literal instruction. The word was supposed to live in their hearts Not only that, they were supposed to bind it to their forehead and bind it to their hands. And if you go and visit Jerusalem, which I have never done, one day I wish to go to Jerusalem, but my father has told me from several of his visits there that the Hasidic Jews, those that are orthodox to the core, that abide by the law, they have a little box that they tie to their forehead, and inside of the box there's these little scrolls that has the word of God. So they take it literal, and they bind it to their heads. And they bind it to their wrists and to their hands, and they read it, and they wrap it around. And, and several times a day, they're, they're reading it and, and doing it because that's what the Word of God says. To them, it's a literal approach. Then if we, lead later, we read later on in the prophets, the prophets say that God will write the law in your heart. Now you will have the, God, the, the Word of God in your heart. Some of the prophets went even further. Ezekiel, if you read Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, uh, God gave him the Word, And God said, eat the scroll. And Ezekiel ate the scroll. And he says, this is sweeter than honey to my mouth. So they're pretty aggressive upon the word of God. And I pray that as a church, we we don't rip the sheets out of the Bible and start eating them. uh, Unless you're a prophet, which which I I doubt. uh, But you masticate this spiritually and let this... Nourish your soul, the word of God, daily. It is what's supposed to live in you. That's why it says the the word of God will habitate, will dwell, will live among you richly. It describes 
the pro- profound impact of the Word of God living in His people. When the Word of God lives in His people, it does so in abundance. We become people of the Word. We become people that know the Word. And we become people that share the Word. Do you honestly think that you have good advice for broken souls? You know, when the world is broken around us and they come to us and they come to you and they're just like, man, I'm broken, I'm, I'm, I'm in depression, I, my, my parents just got a divorce, I, I'm going through this, this breakup, I'm going through a divorce, I'm, I lost my job. Do you honestly think that you have some type of good advice better than biblical counsel? That's why we have to be people of the word for a broken world. A broken world needs not Jonathan's advice. It needs the word of God to, rich, to dwell richly among you. And then here's how Paul goes even further. How does the word of God dwell in his people? Now, there's various ways that this happens. In other parts of the Bible, in, in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy, we get a visual of how the corporate gathering works. But Paul says here very, very intentional to show us how the worship service should look. And he says so when he goes, let the word of God richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. What's supposed to be happening here? The word of God is supposed to be taught, and the word of God, by nature, admonishes. There is a seriousness to the Word of God. We have to teach it. The people of God must listen to it and must understand it. A good teacher can help you understand the Word of God. And that's why we try to spend as much time in the text as possible so you can understand it in detail. Teaching, what are we teaching? If you go back to verse 20 of chapter 1, it's the Word of Christ. We are teaching Christ and Christ crucified. What are we admonishing? We're admonishing right, righteous living. That's why Paul in chapter 3, as we've been alluding to these last couple of minutes, is so emphatic upon the Christian life. Because Christianity is not about come to Jesus and, and just chill. Come to Jesus and just relax and live Live a wonderful life in Jesus. Don't worry about everything else. I mean, just relax. Jesus loves you. Well, that's not what the Word of God says here. Because admonishing means correction. Admonishing means discipline. Admonishing means, hey, watch out. You're in sin. Get out. Obviously, in wisdom, so we don't have a bunch of people here, hey, you, sinner, hey, you, sinner, hey, over you. No, wisdom and love. If I see a brother or a sister that's falling in temptation and doing things that they shouldn't be doing, am I supposed to stand back and just be like, I let God deal with them? I'm supposed to be like, hey, brother. You know, the word of God doesn't teach that. We have to surrender ourselves to the lordship of Christ and Understand that that's just not the way we're supposed to live. There's, there's been times where I've had to tell people that have been in church for two years, and they're, they love church, and they love it, and they're like, oh, I love church. And they tell me how much they love church, 
And, and unfortunately, they're my friends on Instagram or Facebook. And then I see, like, Saturday night, they were out at the club. And I'm like, and, and not only they're out at the club, they're drinking and having a blast. And, and sometimes they're not even with the right spouse. And they come to church, and they're like, I love church, bro. It's so awesome. And, and, and instead of me being like, yeah, we'll keep loving church, you know, as long as you keep coming back. That's all I care about. It's hard for when I have to say, hey, bro, I saw that post you put yesterday, man, and what's going on? And a lot of times it's just like, dang, you, you saw that? Or you follow me? <laughs> like, like, why did I accept the pastor, you know? Well, you got to call that out. You can't just let that slide. That's, that's just not what the word of God does. We're supposed to admonish each other. How are we supposed to do it in all wisdom, with love and understanding? We cannot be the body of Christ and not learn to admonish one another. That's why the word of God dwells amongst you. It's supposed to live inside of you as a group, as a body, as a body of believers, implying a personal indwelling of the body of Christ. In your, in your soul, a personal indwelling of the word of God, but also amongst us so that when we do see this lack in our brother, we can lift them up with the word of God. Not, hey, I think that was wrong. I think you shouldn't be doing those things. Man, who cares what you think? What does the word of God say? So that's how we're supposed to address one another with the word of God. That's why it lives in us by teaching and admonishing us towards righteous living. But then I love this because he goes on to explain how it's done. So there's the verbal aspect of it. There's the verbal aspect of the teaching and the admonishing. But then comes this wonderful notion of, of psalms. What does it say? Uh, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it says singing with thankfulness.